Welcome to the BNP Realm Podcast. This is your host, Brian, once again, and thanks as always for joining me. Well, I've been working pretty hard on getting this one ready. I've got lots of clips to share with you. I uh, went to play park golf this afternoon and did the podcast out there from the park golf course and just spent about two hours editing it all down because you just don't want to hear me walking from hole to hole and talking about every shot I'm taking. So I tried to take some of that out, but I left a few bits in there to get the ambiance of I'm actually talking as I'm hitting a ball into a hole. Uh, today's podcast is, hmm, what should I call today's podcast? P is for park golf and politics and B is for Bernie and Biden. And there's some other stuff in here. I'm going to throw on a couple comedic clips uh, to lighten things up, eh, but I think it's pretty good. And then you're going to get chapters 9 and 10 of The Teacher and the Tree Man, and you'll get to be introduced to the great Larry Sherry, Paul Lucas's best friend. Okay, I think this uh, is enough, but before I finish, I want to make some predictions. The Iowa caucus is just hours away, and I believe Bernie Sanders will win. He'll have about, let's say, 28 to 30 percent of the vote. In second place, I'm going to say it'll be Mayor Pete with 18, and Biden 15 to 17, and then Warren will come after that, and it'll go down from there. So that, once again, is Sanders, about a 10-point win over Buttigieg, who will be close to Biden. Biden will be real close to him, and Warren will be right behind them. So those three will be pretty much clustered. That's how I see it. And uh, we'll see how it goes. All right, everybody, enjoy the podcast. Uh, first, I'm going to play the park golf, politics, Bernie and Biden, baby boomer, uh, babbling Brian Brook clip. And then I'll uh, throw in a couple other things, and then you'll get the, the content of the book. So enjoy. Thanks. So I'm going to do a little recording here while I play C7 and play this course. It's the podcast. I got to talk about Biden versus Bernie. I saw a report on the Hill crystal ball with and Sager. Don't know Sager's last name. I don't know if I'm saying that right. We'll call him Kyle Seeger. Seattle Mariner, great. There you go. Hear the sound. That's the sound of a ball going a hole in Crow Golf. Park Golf. I love that sound. All right. So uh, Biden versus Bernie. The Hill, the report was about... I just don't want anybody behind me because I'm trying to record a fucking podcast here. That's the main goal. Park golf podcast. But I got to get to Biden and Bernie, but I'm kind of rushing because I feel like these people are behind me. So here we go. It's right on the green. Perfect. I going to say it felt good. I missed it. I hit the tree. Whoa, up the tree it goes and down. That was cool. Never done that before. All right, blue ball. We're just going to pick you up so I can record. Okay, Bernie and Biden. So the Hill, the report was about a generation gap. They broke down support of the, I think it was the Iowa caucus, I can't remember. So people under 25, like nine or 10% support Biden and like 40% Bernie. And people over, was it 60? Anyway, it's the opposite. It's like nine or 10% support Bernie, 40% support Biden. So the generation war is what this democratic primary is about. Go home, old people. You got to go to bed. Fucking 3.30. Bernie and Biden. So it's a generation gap. And like, I've actually been thinking, pondering. Some of one of the issues I want to discuss in my work is healing the generation divide. So it's like, holy fuck. This generation divide is what's playing out here in the Democratic primary. Because if you look at Gen X, it's kind of like equally, it's like we're still a little ahead for Bernie. There's some Warren, there's some Biden, you know. Mostly it's Bernie versus Warren in Gen X. But Warren's done. Because she don't have the big support she got caught lying too many times so she's done i'm not even worried about her so i'm changing my focus to bernie versus biden so i gotta talk to the old people about why biden it's love versus fear folks and again we're we're making this generalized we're dichotomizing the fuck out of this all right i'm to my balls again jesus christ we're never gonna finish a podcast playing park golf i got a part of it after all okay park golden park park golfing and podcasting folks p is for podcast and park golf um kind of hard to do Bernie versus Biden, The Bees, by Brian Winchell. So Biden 
it's all about this oh trump is terrible trump is terrible we got to return to the past we got to return to the past the obama was so great obama was so great fear the future fear the future fear 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 where bernie's like these are tough times but we got this everybody not me us we can do it so michael moore did a thing the other day speech where he's talking about you know how bernie is love and compassion and trump is fear and all this but uh biden i mean just the way he reacts everybody like there's so much tension and fear like someone asked him a legitimate question about his social security plan like, uh, why, why 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 hey man why are you getting scared because you're freaking out on me like a freaking lunatic dude um so my friend and i john have this bet and hold on gotta take this shot now watch this drive Pretty good, George Bush. So, with this bet, the verbiage is, John predicted a white male candidate over 50 who says he is a Christian will be the nominee, and I said no. Bless John's heart, but he ended up with just Biden, which I actually, he said, back when I said this, there was a big field of nominees. No one knew. No one knew. He said, no one knew. Of course, no one really knew, but I'm pretty good about predicting politics in a lot of ways. Like, I predicted that Bernie would be a lot stronger in 2016, and same with Trump. Can't say I predicted Trump would win, but once it became Trump versus Hillary, I had an instinct that, like, there's a better chance than a lot of people were saying that he can win, because Hillary's terrible. <laughs> and I didn't vote for her. No way. Didn't vote for Trump either. So Bernie and Biden, folks. I didn't vote for Trump either. I want to make that clear. I'd never vote for him. I threatened once that I would do it if the Democrats completely fuck over Bernie. Like, it's like obvious that he's the one that people want and they steal it from him in whatever way. You know, using their media or their rules or whatever. They just steal it from him. They already did that once. And so I've told people before, I'm like, if they do that, I'll just say fuck them and vote for Trump. But then I thought about it. I'm like, yeah, but that fucks the people who have to live under Trump. So I ain't going to do that. No voting for Trump. Sorry. Fuck that guy, too. Now, I think George W. Bush is a worse president than Trump, like, as far as the consequences of his actions. But he was also president during 9-11, so maybe that was just a bad chance for the history. So, yeah, if Trump had been president or is president during a big terrorist attack like that, I'd hate to imagine what would happen. And that was a lot of the reason people were saying he's so dangerous. But quite honestly, if Hillary was president during such a thing, I would hate to see what happened because Hillary has this desire to prove herself. I'm as strong as the boys and all this, you know, and Hillary has just as much shadow work to do as Trump, in my opinion. And you can see that by the way she's been behaving the last few months. <laughs> years lifetimes all right so point is i'm going to write this article about appealing to the baby boomers to understand that your kids the people who are younger they're clear they want bernie over biden it's not even a choice they're gonna to have to live with the consequences of this decision a lot more a lot longer than you are that's just fact so when if you were if i'm older dude seriously if i'm older if i'm fucking in my you know in my baby boom years i was gonna say but in my you know senior years 60s 70s no, i don't want to say 60s let's say 70s 80s like my parents i just one-handed in a long putt that was sweet for birdie let's see if i can do it again i'm just gonna start putting one-handed two in a row holy shit it like slowed up and then it dropped in <laughs> um i made a joke with my parents about you know younger people should have two like their vote should count for twice as much as older people because their vote, they're going to live with the consequences longer. Now, of course, it's only four years, but I think this is one of those elections. I really do. It's it's like, <laughs> I'm going to just get down to the, the meat of this, folks. It's make it or break it time for the U.S. Back in 2000, during that whole Bush thing and Gore, that was a big one, too. And I'll get into more of this later, but there's actually some significance to all this. Um, all right, I'm going to reveal my cards. Astrologically speaking, there's some significance to these two elections and the 20-year periods, 40-year periods. I'll get to that in a sec. Point is, every 20 to 40 years, there's some influence between Saturn, and this year there's actually Saturn with Pluto, and it's all this shit that... It's some real stuff. And then America's own astrological chart, folks, it's got connections to that. And even if we just take out all this astrological stuff, which I think is, it's not woo-woo, it's actually science, but our modern science discounts it for stupid reasons, which I'll get into in future podcasts, but I won't say stupid, but for reasons that were legit, but they weren't actually correct. So anyway, but this year, 2020, I had this intuition back in 2000 that like, that was a significant period and how we respond. Oh, I almost did Albatross. Oh, I 
I just missed that one. Man, folks, it went just to the left. I left myself a putt in for eagle. That's nice. I'm going to play one-handed from now on on these putts. Dude, just as good. Okay, that one ended up in a birdie. Taking too long to finish the point. Get to the point, Winchell. Wasting your time, aren't I? I'm sorry. We'll shorten all this up. We'll do some pre-post-production editing. But this is a big fucking deal. It's the point. And it has a lot to do with the future of America. I don't know if I'll say the future of the world, but since America's a world leader, yeah, the future of the world. So fucking trust your kids, baby boomers. You know? Fucking trust us. Point is... If I'm an old person in my 60s, or I'm going to say again, I'll say 70s, 65 and over. You know, if I'm, an, if I'm a senior citizen and I look and see all the young voters are like way 40% to 10%, you know, ahead of the guy that I want, I'm going to fucking vote for their guy because they're around longer, you know? I'm going to be like, well, they have an intuition about the future. Who's better? The funny thing is, is like, it's not like, it's not like it's like Mayor Pete, the young people are picking, you know, it's not like a fucking identity politics decision. Bernie and Joe are the same age. But people, the young people are around. Bernie's older, I think. The young people are around around Bernie because they see him as someone who understands their situation and what the future needs. So friggin' defer to that, man. Like, put your egos aside. And that's what a lot of this is. Is like, it's an ego. It's ego is so fear-based. It's so fear-based. It's so like, what if I vote for Bernie? I might, I might lose all my retirement funds. I might, I might lose this. I might lose that. Well, you might lose it anyway, even if you don't vote for Bernie. If Trump might take it away. Biden might take it away. Like Biden's the guy who's out in the state on the, you know, in the last 20 years being like, I'm the guy that said social security needs to be cut. I'm the guy. Like he's bragging about being an asshole, taking away funding for programs that help middle and working class people. Anyway, I'll sum this up. Biden, he's all about this. Looking at all the wildness that's going on in the world right now and kind of reacting with fear. We got to go back to what it was before. We got to go back to what it was before. Well, that doesn't happen, okay? That's not reality. So when Biden's like, no malarkey, I mean, I can list off all the things that like he's saying that's malarkey, him bragging about his civil rights past. I can, I'll put these links in my in my blog post, but there's so much of it. It's like, he is malarkey, folks. Like, he is so malarkey. Like, Trump is more honest than Biden in the sense that Trump doesn't make him out. Well, maybe he doesn't. There are two sides of the same coin, same egotistical line coin. Um, Got to finish this up. Didn't expect to do a podcast from Park Golf, but it's the thing about the P&B realm. You never know what's going to happen, folks. Finishing up, Biden. It's about fear. It's ego shit. And if Biden... Okay, if he wins it legit, if he wins it legit, I'll, I'll make a promise. If Biden wins it legit, even though I think he's actually could be potentially a worse president than Trump and will set our country, you know, he won't do any. He's going to be a shit president. He'll be shit. He'll be crap. Um, but I'll, if he wins it legit, I'll vote for him, okay? So that's my vow. If Biden wins legit, and that's my own definition of legit, and I'm not going to, I'm a very honest person in the sense that I'm not going to cheat to make it say, well, that wasn't legit. But already, man, Iowa, Des Moines register, like didn't want to do their official poll. They made up some bullshit because like it turns out now again, I don't know if this is true, but I shared it on Twitter because I'm like, it's probably true. Some guys like I got the inside scoop from someone who works there. Bernie's up 33 to 15% to Biden. They didn't want to release that. That's fine. Oh, that's a long putt. Oh, I just missed the one-handed putt. Um, okay. We're going to know in like 24 hours. There's a long putt in. Look at that one-hander. Woo! Birdie. Point is, we're going to know. Like, that's the results will come in. And then I guess they're trying to, like, I read another story. They're trying to close some of the precinct areas where Bernie's strong. And, you know, they're trying all sorts of tricks, you know, and they're going to keep doing that. So it's going to be hard for me to ever admit that Biden won it legit because I just can't see it happening because Biden, he doesn't have a mass movement behind him. Like the people that are voting for him are all just kind of like, well, I've heard of Joe Biden before. Or they're watching, you know, they're old people who watch the mainstream news who all hate Bernie. It's all the people that have got invested in the system, you know. And again, I want to say something. There, there are legitimate reasons for people to have fear in all this. Point is, everybody... Bernie is like, by all the traditional measurements of, you know, how they traditionally the media has measured strong candidates, Bernie's like killing it and all those things. The number of individual voter of donors, the actual money raised, the movement on the ground. I mean, name recognition, all those things they usually used, like he's killing it. But there's a resistance to change. And that's what this is all about. Biden voters resist change. Okay, we're going to one hand a long one here. It's going to be hard. That didn't work. Ha! <laughs>
<laughs> I'm going to end the podcast with that. Thanks for listening. I hit it. <laughs> and it went like literally like 180 degrees and hit the white thing. You might have heard it. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been too long. We will edit this down in post-production, but that's it. I'll be making my appeals to the baby boomers in a more succinct fashion. But thanks for joining me, and uh, have a good week. Hope you enjoy your first week of February. It's fucking gorgeous today, and that's why, well, that's why I took a day off. B is for vandalism, ecological style. And P is for peeing in nature. How's it going, everybody? Probably won't ever release this. I've recorded too many of these that might be released, but they might not. But I'm out and about, and this will not be released on an official podcast. Or maybe it will. Who knows? But I'm out and about on the way home from work Friday night. Can't hear myself. Got to take these earbuds out. And I'm out and about. I like to go on a roundabout. It's a good Red Hot Chili Peppers song. An album that I think is actually underrated. One Hot Minute, Dave Navarro. I'm talking like Mike Milligan from Fargo Season 2. That's the cadence. Not trying to do it intentionally. But I'm out and about. And I've got this road here. There's a road that they built near my house through a field that I used to go through, dirt road I used to go on. It's now a concrete road. The dirt road was nice, but then they decided to do a bunch of construction and they built this road that I'm standing on right now. And it's been built for, I would say, at least two years now. And for some reason, it still hasn't been opened yet. Now, I actually don't want it to be open for cars. It's wide enough for cars. It's wide enough for probably two lanes of traffic, but probably just it'd be one with a sidewalk. But for some reason, they haven't opened it yet. And that's fine. But the problem I have, and here's where the vandalism comes in, is they put these little metal barriers at the end of each side of the road. So someone like me who wants to use this to bike home on, because they did destroy the field in the road that I used to ride through here, someone who wants to use this perfectly usable concrete road well they're saying you shouldn't do it so for the past let's see it's almost february now since october so october about four months several times i've taken the gate and put it aside through one or two or three or four into the forest a little ways out of the way hoping they wouldn't put it back and they're so lazy that there's actually one sitting and quite honestly i did this by myself with my own manpower and this is a group of construction workers. They're so lazy that they left one of them just sitting in the forest and put a new one up. So lately I've been more politely just moving it off to the side. But then they put it up again. And it's like they're not catching the clue that someone wants to use this to bike through or walk through or whatever. So tonight I decided to throw it back a little bit into the forest. Now again, when I say throw it into the forest, <clears throat> I'm talking about literally for one person it would be a 5 to 10 second job for two people it would, well, probably the same amount of time, but it'd be very easy. Anyway, they're not heavy, these things. Um, I'm not Hulk Hogan or something. I'm not the Incredible Hulk. Point is, for some reason, they keep putting it back. And I'm going to keep moving it. And we're going to play this game, it looks like, for a bit. Um, let's go to the exit. There's an exit here, and I have a feeling they're going to have put that one back. Um, the last time I actually did throw, this was last Friday. Every Friday night I do this for the last couple weeks. And last Friday, I did give it more of a toss. Let's go over there and check it out. You can listen to me bike. Uh, I actually did record one of these using this app and put it out, and it actually sounded great. Just as good as my home microphone, which kind of shocked me, and I paid for. <laughs> but there you go. But, uh, yeah. Okay, there's a car in the car. Let's see, did they put the thing back or did they? Yep, they put it back, folks. All right, you're going to hear a little vandalism. Now there's a light here. I'm going to get in trouble. Wow, there's like a... I feel like that's new. I feel like this... 
Hmm, maybe it's not. Anyway. Probably, probably isn't. All right. If I'm rotting in a Japanese prison, you will be able to hear the reason why. I'm going to move this in all the way here. I'm going to put this in my pocket. Probably won't sound that great, but I'm going to move this in into the forest quite a ways away. So they're going to have to do some work for this one. Yeah, you're not needed. You're just not needed. You don't serve a purpose. This one is actually ready. But I'm a healthy man. And now they have to do some work for it. Now again, you heard how long that took. You could probably figure it out by the time that you can watch click by there. 10-15 seconds. Really not that hard. Barely. Not even breaking a sweat. Well, it's cold out, so. My breathing ain't even that labored. All right, I put it back there on its side to let them know, just leave it fucking there and let people ride their bikes through here at least. The car still can't get through there. But they'll put it back, because God knows we've got to make sure this road doesn't get used that we built. Got to keep things under control. Down the hill we go. Under the tunnel, listen to the acoustics. Echo! Echo! That's kind of cool. There's a car at the same time. That'll be fun to listen back to. You just broke my eardrums, Winchell. I'm suing you. Suing you for all you're worth. I ain't worth much. I got 10 yen to my name. Oh, that's a lot, right? You think 10 cents is much? No. Well, that's what I got to my name. I went to 7-Eleven today to buy some bread on the way home, got to the counter, had a bread, and realized I'd forgotten my wallet. Went outside, dug through my bag to see, make sure the wallet wasn't there, and see if there's any other coins at 72 yen. The bread was 129 yen, no bread, no, no dice. Sorry. Oh well, such is life. Sometimes you forget your wallet. You gotta keep on moving. And that's what I'm doing. I'm almost home. Another couple minutes. My toes are cold. My toes are cold. And my beer is true. And on my butt, I got a purple tattoo. I do not have a purple tattoo on my butt or anywhere else, or any other tattoo anywhere else. I don't believe in that kind of cultural appropriation, which I don't really have strong feelings about. That I do think tattoos look kind of dumb. <laughs> you know, especially when your skin's really white. I don't know. I won't say too much. I think, like, my grandpa had a tattoo that he was embarrassed by. So, like, turn my dad against tattoos, and my dad turned me against tattoos. And so now when I listen to the Rolling Stones album, Tattoo You, I say, no, not me. I ain't going to be tattooed. Or harpooned, or typhooned. I have been typhooned a few times. That ain't so bad. Probably better than being harpooned. Here comes a car. Here comes a car driving home from the bar. Probably not, or if he is, he's uh, not drinking. They got strict drunk driving laws here in Japan, which is a good thing. As a biker, I'm happy about that. Don't want people behind the wheel of a car anywhere, for that matter, but what about biking? All right, I'm home. That's good enough. A little clip for your listening pleasure. Adios. This is 2020 presidential candidate. Bernie Sanders with a public service announcement. Listen to the BNP Round podcast with Brian Winchell. It's really good. Even if he does make a fool out of me, it's still good. Listen. And vote for me. Don't forget. Vote for me. Thanks. I gotta go. 
the downside of roundabouts with your host, Brian Vinchel. So, first, we'll turn to our guest who is, of course, the most downside-ish of downside roundabouts, Mr. Traffic Lights Rule, Claire Johnson. Claire. Claire, you see, I just personally like sitting in traffic and waiting at stoplights. It's uh, quite enjoyable. I can stare at my phone and twiddle my thumbs. And uh, besides, I like the color red. That's your argument. Indeed. Well, there's more to it if you'll let me elaborate. No, you're done. Next, let's turn to our next guest, Mr. Niles Caskins, who is also equally downsidey about roundabouts. Niles? Well, I just think they're kind of confusing. Niles, aren't you from the Great British Isles? Why do you speak in such a manner? I'm actually from the Deep South, you see. My father, he was from Yorkshire, but I didn't like the way he talked. Well, now we're very confused and we're off topic. Okay, let's turn to our next guest, Miss Penny Pigbottom. Why don't you like roundabouts? It's about my piggies. My piggies like the stoplights too. You see, when the piggies are being herded. You herd pigs? Indeed. How do you do such a thing? I use my staff and rod. It sounds quite fascinating. Care to elaborate? Well, you take your staff and you hit it on the ground four times. What does this have to do with roundabouts? Next, please. Do we have any more guests? Anybody with anything pertinent to say to the topic? Yes, we have a man here calling from Japan. What's your name? Uh, my name is Brian Winchell. And what do you have to say about the downside of roundabouts? Uh kind of like him. Next, please. Wait, wait, hold on. I want. No, you can't come onto this show speaking positively about the topic. We're talking about the downside, don't you see? Uh, yeah, but there's some good things about him, like if I'm out... I told you! No more. Who would let this guy through the screeners? Uh, he lied to us, sir. He said he was for the downside of roundabouts. No, actually, he said he was for roundabouts. He just misheard him. Never mind all that. Don't we have anybody with anything of pertinence to say about why roundabouts are the scourge of traffic? No? Uh, I'd like to speak up. Who are you? I don't even know my name, but... Well, never mind then. This show's over. Folks, I think we've made a compelling case today for why roundabouts are the downside of civilization. We should continue to have uh, traffic lights that go at right angles and that make people wait so they can twiddle their thumbs, look at their phones, and enjoy the color red. Thank you very much. This has been Brian Vinchin. I hope you've enjoyed our show. Goodbye. Chapter 9. Ain't friends the craziest things? I've got it, Lucas said to the man in the tree after a minute of pondering. I can't believe I didn't think of it before. I'll just bring my chainsaw out here, and even though I hate to use the obnoxious thing, I can cut you down. The tree man's brow wrinkled like an earthquake, and if he could have, he probably would have scratched under his chin, too. Well, Lucas said. Unfortunately, no, the tree man said. Why not? You said you hoped the lightning could bring you down, so what's the difference? A couple of things. First... That was four years ago, when I could feel my body, my little body, inside this tree. Now, I barely remember how it feels. Second, the lightning apparently just grazed the tree up high. Had it been a direct hit or closer to me, I'm sure it would have killed me. Anyway, I fear that I am too much a part of this tree, so chopping it down will only result in my death. Well, shit, Lucas yelled pounding his fist into his palm. I thought for sure we had it. Okay, think, Paul, think. Come on, there's got to be some way to do this. No, I'm afraid if it was that simple, I would have suggested it already, the tree man said. Lucas paced back and forth for a few minutes, around and around the grove, hoping the motion would somehow trigger a brilliant answer in his brain. But nothing came to him. I have a feeling you're going to have to think on it and get back to me, the tree man said. Damn, I want to help you now. I know, but a few more days up here are not going to kill me. 
Lucas huffed, then looked at his cell phone clock. Again, the screen was dark. What the hell's wrong with this thing? Lucas thought. He looked at the sun through the trees and guessed that it was at least nine o'clock. Can you tell time? He asked the tree man. Tell time? Yeah, like right now it's nine o'clock, ten o'clock, Lucas said. The tree man thought for a minute and said, Yes, I know what you mean, but there's no reason for me to, so I don't. Never mind then, Lucas said. Point is, I've got to get going. But before I do, I want to give you something. What's that? Your first taste of truly independent life outside this tree, Lucas said. I don't know why, but I'm completely confident I'm going to free you. And when I do, you'll need a name. A good, solid name. A name that represents who you are and gives you some grounding in what you can become. I did some research to see if there were names that represented men in trees like yourself, and I found a perfect name in honor of an ancient god of the forest and woods, Sylvanus. And in honor of this great big tree you find yourself in, we'll make your last name Douglas. Sylvanus Douglas. The tree man wrinkled his brow. You like it, don't you? Silence. Don't you? Lucas waited and watched the tree man. Out of its eye, a large drop of sappy tear was forming. Eventually, gravity set it free, and it rolled off his face to the ground below, forcing Lucas to jump back to avoid its mammoth size. Man, you sure do have killer tears. Sorry, the man said, quivering. I just don't know what to, to, to say. Thank you. And with that, the man's face morphed back into a knot, leaving Lucas with only himself to utter the word, You're welcome, too. Lucas hurried home, afraid he was in for another scolding for spending too much time in the woods. But when he got there, Terry's car was gone. Gone? He looked at the cell phone. It was working again and read 9.50. How did it get so late? And where's Terry? Maybe she took Scarlet to church. They rarely went anymore, since neither really strongly felt one way or another about the existence of the Christian idea of God and whether or not he sent a human messenger thousands of years in the distant past. Still, sometimes they attended for Scarlet's sake, and for the sake of keeping up appearances in the community. In the past year or two, the Lucases had grown lazy about going, and so far Lucas hadn't heard from anyone at school that they were missed. Instead, Lucas often took Scarlet to the place where he felt the divine could be more easily sensed than in a church, Last Rush Canyon. No, a minister preaching about the divine couldn't hold a candle to directly experience it in nature. He went into the kitchen, turned on the light, and saw a note on the table. Went to church. Larry Sherry called. 845-4575. 845-4575? That's a local number. Is he really in town? Larry Sherry's in the house? No freaking way! It had been over two years since the old college roommates had seen each other. In the interim, Sherry had hopscotched around the world, building a career as an adventurous host of a series of documentaries that mostly aired on cable TV. In them, he covered many topics, but one of his main themes was the vanishing indigenous cultures around the world, especially in exotic locales like the Amazon, Africa, and the South Pacific. Lucas had last seen him on the Discovery Channel and almost didn't recognize him. Not only had Sherry lost a lot of weight, but he had been dressed in the traditional garb of the African Bwiti people as he was investigating that tribe's use of iboga, a powerful psychedelic plant that the tribesfolk claimed put them in touch with the spirit of nature, as well as being able to draw up memories of one's past. What could he be doing in run-of-the-mill Lincolnton? Lucas picked up the phone and dialed the number. Wait for it, Kimosabi, Larry said as he inhaled some Chinese noodles while somehow managing to chew on some orange chicken and sip on a Coke. Come on, bro, Lucas said, tired of waiting, yet knowing that the more he expressed his impatience, the more Larry would make him wait. Larry seemed to slow down his chewing, concentrating on each bite until he finally swallowed. Then he dabbed his face at the napkin and took a deep breath. Okay he said, but then stayed silent. This time, Lucas waited, no matter how impatient he felt. 
Yes, you are ready, Larry said, smiling at his friend. Here it is. The reason I am here is because I'm scaling big, bad, and beautiful Mount Rainier next week. So I figured Lincolnton would be a perfect base camp until I left. After all, that's where Paul Lucas lives. Lucas peered around his mound of golden chicken at his old friend and said, Well, it's great to see you, bro. Seeing Larry always helped Lucas relax a bit about his public persona, and it almost, but not quite, brought out the mischief-maker in him again. No, he could leave the mischief to Larry. Larry had always been a character. In college, he'd worn torn black jeans, one of hundreds of black concert t-shirts from one of the many new wave or goth bands of the 1980s, a long black trench coat, and had spiked his red hair and dyed it totally black. Flash forward to this afternoon, and the look had greatly changed. His red hair was now curly, and long absent of any artificial coloring, his face was covered with a thick red beard, and his green eyes were deeper and more intense, perhaps reflecting his worldliness. Still, Lucas could see behind the intensity, and could still sense a dancing sprite there, full of humor. He wore thick hiking boots, pea-green khakis, and a loud blue Hawaiian t-shirt with purple surfers in a green sunset. His character hadn't been lost. It had simply mutated. He'd gone from no color to every color in the book. Where were you last? Lucas asked, washing down some teriyaki chicken with his cook. Let's see, Larry said, leaning back, crossing his legs, and wiping his face with his napkin. Los Angeles. Come on, Los Angeles? That's not the exotic answer I was hoping for. Nah, nah, I suppose it wasn't, Larry said. Even the great ones have tedious tasks sometimes. You better believe it. Sure, I would have rather been out in the world somewhere. Just about anywhere is better than that shithole town. But I had some business to attend to in L.A., so I went and got it over with. My agent says it'll help me sell books. Books? Yeah, I convinced my agent that the Sherry Empire needs to expand, Larry said. But the convincing was easy. I just said... Ka-ching! I suppose it's a good thing that you got an agent, Lucas said. After all, you never were one for self-promotion. Nah, I hate it, Larry said. But my agent was insistent to the point where he threatened to quit if I didn't go, so I went. Must be strange being this hotshot TV show reporter and future best-selling author, Lucas said. If you discount the world travel, the exotic women, and the fine wines, no, it's nothing special, Larry said and stretched a double-decker smile across his well-tanned face. So what's the deal with Mount Rainier? Well, my muse and I have this deal. No talking about the current project or she leaves me. Gone! Just like that! The bitch. He put his hands over his mouth and swallowed a large bit of chicken. Whoops! Hope you didn't hear that, Teeny Conda! Teeny Conda? Found her on a beach in Hawaii, Larry said as if it were perfectly normal to be strolling down the beaches of Hawaii and finding wandering muses who needed an artist to hook up with. Been with me ever since. She's a good one, I tell you, but she does have some funny rules. Still, no need to rock a floating boat. So that's how you're going to be, Lucas said, chiding his old friend. You can't even tell your old college roommate a little. Okay, okay, Larry said, wiping his lips with a napkin and finishing his coke before setting it down loudly on the table. He looked around quickly, bulging eyes, searching the restaurant. For what? His muse? He cleared his throat and finally said softly, Lahars. Lahars? You mean mudflows? No more! Larry shouted, causing two families at the booth across the room to glance their way. Sorry, but I, I sense her. Yep, that's her, all right. She's near. Can't we talk about something else? Uh, sure, Lucas said, feeling a bit uncomfortable. Sometimes Larry had a disturbing way of playing his act so well that Lucas wasn't sure if it was an act. Say, do you remember that night at Husky Stadium? Larry asked. Are you kidding me? I'd be crazy to forget. We were really out of our heads that night. Yeah, Lucas agreed. I still can't believe how long you must have been out there racing those goddamn shopping carts end zone to end zone. Jack always said he didn't tell his friends in security to ignore the stadium that night. But to this day, I bet he did. Nah, man, it was divine intervention, Larry said. Sometimes, someone up there just pulls a few strings of fate, just so a few of us down here can have a killer night like that one. It certainly was unforgettable, Lucas said. If only my school knew about the collegiate Paul Lucas swallowing magic mushrooms like they were aspirins, I really doubt they would ever have awarded me Teacher of the Year. 
Imagine that, Larry said, a man who has done something so sinful as eating psychedelic mushrooms, teaching our children, and doing it well. Never! Yeah, Lucas said. Well, unfortunately, at school I'm sworn to secrecy. Kind of like you and your muse. Only difference is, mine is logical, Larry said and smiled. He doesn't really believe that, does he? Anyway, remember how we all felt like we could feel each other's bodies? And how our bodies felt like they were extending out into the world around us? It was like our everyday reality of having boundaries between ourselves and the world is not the true reality. That on a deeper level, everything truly is connected, Larry said. Yeah, how can I forget, Lucas said. It was like discovering parts of our bodies that we never knew existed. Still, it's frustrating though, isn't it, Lucas said. What? Larry asked. Just how mind-blowing and profound those experiences are, but how difficult they are to put into everyday words. So difficult that when we try, people who haven't had the experience end up making fools of us, Lucas said. Well, people who do that are the true fools, in my opinion, Larry said. The reality is, society has no idea how many great people there are like you, Lucas. People who've explored their consciousness, finding new ways to expand their awareness, who then take those lessons into the real world. Wait! Lucas suddenly had an inspiration. Do you know how to get mushrooms now? Larry stopped. Of course! You think Larry Sherry would lose all his connections just like that? No. Damn right no, Larry said. I can probably get them tonight or tomorrow. By Tuesday at the latest, guaranteed. After all, it's harvest time. But I gotta know. Why do you ask? Well, Lucas said, not sure if he should say. But the Chinese food and the reminiscing had loosened his tongue, so he said, Okay, you're just about the only person I can think of who's crazy enough to believe my answer. I need to liberate a man stuck in the side of a tree. And for the first time that lunch, Larry Sherry was silent. Chapter 10. Keeping Silent, Speaking Up Knitting. It was always knitting. Whenever Terry was angry and unwilling to talk to him, she turned to knitting and sitting on the living room couch. Eyes focused on the needle, winding in and out of afghans, sweaters, or hats. Always knitting. When Lucas returned home that Sunday afternoon, she was in that zone, and Scarlet was sprawled on the floor in her own zone, coloring. The television blared the cartoon channel, but neither paid any attention. Lucas knew he was asking for trouble by trying to talk to her while she was knitting, but he'd had enough of the silent treatment nonsense, so he tried to get Terry talking by bringing up Larry Sherry. Larry had always been a fascinating subject to Terry. Like many people, she struggled to comprehend that Larry was actually real. Still, when Lucas told her about Larry's latest project on volcanic mudflows, Terry responded with a cold, that's nice, and just kept right on knitting without even looking up at him. Lucas kept at her by telling her about Larry's new look, but again she just kept on knitting and responding with icy two-word sentences. He finally gave up. As he was walking out of the room, however, Terry spoke. Paul, she said. Lucas stopped and turned to face her. I know I can't go on being mad at you forever, since we are still married, she said, but I can't just let my feelings go, simply because it's time to move on. I was sort of hoping you might consider admitting your surprise was just a joke, but I guess I'll just have to keep on hoping. Lucas didn't know what to say. How could he apologize for a joke when it wasn't a joke? Terry, it wasn't a joke, it... Are you serious? she asked. Yes, he said. I swear. Then I don't know what to say, she said, knitting again. Come on, Terry, if you just give me one more chance, I can arrange for Sylvanus to be awake. Sylvanus? That's his name. Oh, so now you've named this imaginary friend. Paul, what's gotten into you? Nothing, he yelled. Damn it, Terry, why are you making this so difficult on me? Paul, you need to take a close look in the mirror. I can't believe you would blame me, Terry said finally putting her afghan and needle down. Perhaps you need help. As my wife, Terry, you're supposed to be my help, Lucas said. I can't help a man who cannot help himself, she said. Now go away, we're not getting anywhere, but please! Lucas bit his lip, shifted on his heels, shoved his hands in his pockets, 
and begrudgingly left Terry to her knitting. Scarlet had gone on coloring throughout the argument as if she were not in the same room. Is she getting used to this? I hope not, because I'm sure not. Sylvanus was right. Lucas was really going to have to go out on a limb to save him. Terry left for work earlier than ever the next morning, which left Scarlet with her dad and an extra hour to kill. Let's you and me go see the man in the tree, Lucas said to her during breakfast. Scarlet wasn't too enthused, but she put on her heavy coat anyway and headed out into the still cold woods with her dad. The early morning stillness of the forest made the journey a more quiet, relaxed one than it had been on Saturday morning with Terry. Eventually, they reached the grove, and Scarlet watched her father look up at the tree he talked to before. Oh, hello, he yelled. Mr. Sylvanus Douglas, I've brought my daughter out here to see you, so it's time to wake up. Nothing happened to the knot. Scarlet looked at her dad, her face hardening, when all of a sudden the knot began to move. Sylvanus, Lucas yelled, there you are. Slowly, Scarlet watched as the knot took on the distinctive characteristics of a man's face. She stepped back, and Lucas put his hand on her shoulder, saying, It's okay, honey. He's very nice. Sometimes, Sylvanus barked, I'm nice. But other times, like when you wake me up from a pleasant sleep, I can be a real bear. And he roared, causing Lucas's unkempt hair to stand on end and Scarlet to cower under one of her daddy's long legs. Before Lucas could respond, Sylvanus said, Oops, I'm sorry, honey, just a bad joke. My friend Baldaris taught me how to do that. Baldaris? A bear, Sylvanus said, but that's neither here nor there. Hello, he said sweetly to Scarlet. What's your name, sweetheart? Scarlet held her fingertips to her lips, nervously biting. Go ahead, honey, Lucas said. Tell the man in the tree. Scarlet, she said. Scarlet, Sylvanus repeated. Pretty name. Nice to meet you, Scarlet. Both Lucas and Scarlet laughed. What? the tree man asked. Her name, Lucas said, is Scarlet. Ho, ho, Sylvanus said and laughed. Sorry, Scarlet. He winked at her and she giggled. It's a pleasure to make your acquaintance. Look, Sylvanus, Lucas said, I've got some good news about our discussion yesterday. It looks like an old friend of mine is going to be able to help us out. Really? How? Well, I can't exactly say in front of... He gestured at Scarlet. But I think it's going to work. Wait, Sylvanus said. I don't understand. Why do you have to be so quiet in front of Scarlet? Scarlet was following the conversation as best as she could, but it was turning into one of those adult conversations that didn't really make sense, where everything seemed like it was hidden in codes behind unspoken words. Still, she never heard anybody ask her father why he spoke like this in front of her, and she was curious to hear his answer. Well, Lucas said, there are some things that are best not talked about in front of children. Sylvanus lowered his gaze at Lucas. If you say so. I just think it's weird. Sad but true, Lucas said, but I think it just might work. Now I've got to go. I'll be back later this week to accomplish our mission. Okay, Sylvanus said. It was nice meeting you, Scarlet. Scarlet smiled at him and shyly nodded. And Paul, Sylvanus said, thanks. You broke our arrangement, Big Me was telling Sylvanus later that morning. I made it clear to you. Only the man. But she's just a little girl, Sylvanus protested. She's not the one who will harm this forest. He could feel something like a sigh from within the tree, and in his mind Sylvanus heard Big Me's response. I agree with you, Big Me said, and I'll say as much to the other trees. But you need to understand something. They are concerned. They sense something coming and just want to proceed cautiously. I understand, Sylvanus said. That said, even I have to agree with them about the woman. Do not show yourself to her, Big Me said. But she's not going to harm the forest either, Sylvanus said. How can you know that? Because, Sylvanus started, but then realized he didn't have an answer. Look, I watched the way Paul cares for the forest. The way he cleared the path to this clearing careful not to harm anything. 
I really doubt a person like that would be with a woman who wanted to harm us. Well, I will present your position to the trees, Big Me said, but I know their fear of humans runs very deep, and simple words likely won't overcome that. You're going to need something greater than words to change their minds, I think. Sylvanus wanted to answer, but realized Big Me was right. That knowledge didn't make his position any easier, because he knew if Lucas brought his wife back, he would want to reveal himself to her for Lucas's sake. And really, what would be the harm in that? Lucas had really wanted to tell the tree man about the mushrooms. He wanted to explain about some of the glorious nights he'd spent with them running their magic throughout his system about watching water drops on the windowsill turn into an infinite corridor of sparkling rainbows, about communicating with Larry for two hours in college one night without talking, about how some shamans had been able to leave their bodies and take the forms of animals after ingesting these sacred substances, but he could not, not with Scarlet there. He hated abiding by this cultural taboo against speaking openly about so-called drug use, especially in front of children, but he just wasn't ready to answer all of the questions Scarlet would invariably have. But damn, he wanted to share it with Sylvanus. When he and Scarlet had hurried throughout their preparations for their respective schools, he had mostly forgotten about the plan. But he was pondering it some more when his car yawned to a stop at the intersection of 145th and Main, and suddenly he remembered, Crap! I've got to call the damn council about this awful intersection! Yet he had little faith that they would do anything, and would have convinced himself it wasn't worth the bother if it hadn't been for little Scarlet sitting in the passenger seat, large enough now so the seatbelt no longer dwarfed her, but still small enough for her legs not to touch the floor. She swung them back and forth, back and forth, and Lucas wished that she would keep on swinging them because it wouldn't be long before her legs were too long for her to enjoy that exercise in boredom. He had to call about the intersection for her. It was the fatherly thing to do. By the time he got to school, he'd gone through what he wanted to say several times, voicing it to himself in his rearview mirror. Each time, he took a little bit more of the anger out of his voice, so that by the time he was on his eighth take, he sounded completely calm and professional. He was so focused on his task that when he entered the school, he shot right past the staff room, ignoring his usual morning greetings and coffee, and headed straight to the phone room which was no more than a small room that had a phone, a chair, and a phone book. They had a phone in the staff room, but for a private conversation, the phone room was always the better choice. He paged through the phone book, found the number for the Lincoln City Council, and dialed it. He got a message. Thank you for contacting the City Council of beautiful Lincolnton, gateway to scenic Mount Rainier. Business hours are Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. We'd love to hear from you. So please, follow the instructions on the machine and leave a message or call us back during business hours. Thank you, and have a pleasant day. Pleasant, Lucas thought, and sneered before taking a deep breath and letting the anger pass. He battled through a series of phone prompts and finally was able to leave this message. Hello, my name is Paul Lucas. I teach fourth grade at Rainierview Elementary and live at 1111 Big Fur Lane. The reason I am calling today is to voice my concern about the intersection of 145th and Main. The other day my daughter was knocked off her bike by a car there. Luckily she was not badly hurt. Strangely enough, earlier that same day, I almost hit a little girl who appeared to come out of nowhere. I think the problem is you can't see either way because of the hill, curve, and signboard there. I don't usually call you guys to complain, and I hope you don't take this call the wrong way. But I just figure that for the sake of future little girls and boys, and parents like myself, I needed to speak up on this one. I think it really needs a stoplight. Thanks for your time. He hung up the phone and let out a large breath. Thank God that is over. Minutes later, as he was preparing for his morning class, Wendy Swanson dropped in. Her peach blouse, stockings, and earrings contrasted greatly with her mood. Paul, she said, voice almost too low for him to hear. Did you hear about Chris Lee? Chris Lee, he thought, and stopped organizing papers for a moment. Though the professional in him was reluctant to choose which student was his favorite, Chris Lee was definitely his favorite. No doubt about it, no other kid worked so hard, yet so effortlessly, as Chris Lee did. 
but what made him special according to lucas was his ability to get along with everyone in a way that always added some sort of spark to the mix he had an energy that made others want to follow him he had a comic streak too which lucas always adored in a kid in short he was a winner you might want to sit down for this wendy said and lucas frowned at her i'm serious lucas gave her a this better be good look and sat apparently he was out in the playground on friday and he had some advils oh shit lucas thought fearing where this was going and william schmidt was complaining about a headache so chris being chris he offered some advils to william they aren't exactly the best of friends so chris didn't know that william comes from a very strict conservative mormon household where all drugs are forbidden anyway schmidt went home and over the weekend told his parents the story so they called weinberg this morning raging mad that some punk on the playground was offering their kids drugs are they in his office right now i'm not sure this is total bullshit lucas said and almost wished he hadn't because windy gave him a subtle glare can't we just teach these kids and not deal with this extraneous nonsense what's going to happen to chris not sure windy said but i heard someone saying something about expelling him damn lucas yelled and jumped to his feet this was crap total stupidity and though he knew he probably should just keep out of it something deep inside of him told him he had to get involved he couldn't just stand by this time somewhat reluctantly he said i'm going to go down there and speak up on behalf of chris he started to walk out of the room and windy tried to grab his arm paul no windy he said feeling a surge of righteous adrenaline now somebody's got to be the voice of reason around here this is chris we're talking about he's a good kid and he was clearly just acting out of a sense of concern for william you don't know the schmitz obviously windy said that's right you wouldn't they haven't reached your grade yet let me see if i can explain it to you the way these people see it paul their son was being seduced by a servant of satan on the playground an older boy tempting their sweet little innocent with drugs these are not normal parents paul they are very protective and very religious ah lucas said beginning to understand and feeling excited now ready for action and they won't settle for anything less than what the damn law requires damn clinton why did he have to go getting tough guy on us with that stupid anti-gun and drugs in schools legislation man i loathe our leaders sometimes anyway i'm going down there he began to walk to weinberg's office and wendy walked with him trying to talk him out of sticking his nose in wendy i'm only going to see what's going on and offer my two cents if i can that's what i'm worried about she said your damn two cents finally they reached the staff room and lucas was relieved to see that weinberg's door was open and there were not two red-faced parents screaming at him instead weinberg sat at his desk with his head down and focused on some papers in his hands lucas strutted into weinberg's office and said to the top of weinberg's head principal weinberg can i talk to you for a minute weinberg looked up and said what's up i'm wondering what's happened with chris lee lucas asked he's not going to be expelled is he no nobody's talking about expulsion where did you hear that weinberg said lucas looked at windy who remained silent at most he might be suspended but that's for the school board to decide weinberg said sit down paul wendy they sat i'm going to talk to the board weinberg said and argue both sides of the case both sides lucas asked are there two sides paul weinberg said we are bound by the law to follow certain federal guidelines in our zero tolerance policies i'm sure you're aware of that yes lucas said i'm aware that the law is totally ludicrous in how it ties our hands and eliminates reason i wouldn't go that far weinberg said shifting in his chair it's strict school policy that students are not allowed to have drugs prescription or non-prescription on their person you know that paul doesn't make suspension right paul i'm sure you are here because you are looking out for chris's best interest weinberg said leaning back in his springy leather chair believe me the last thing i want to do is suspend one of our top students but i'm bound by the decision of the board ah shit lucas said you think they are going to go against him don't you i don't know they will lucas said the last thing they can afford to do is look soft on drugs is that all paul weinberg said turning his head back toward his paper all for showing some compassion lucas said what kind of lesson is this for chris 
Lucas got up, and Wendy did the same, straightening out her skirt. When Lucas reached the door, he stopped and looked back. Sir, I hope I'm not coming on too strong when I say that I am wholeheartedly going to do everything that I can to make sure that Chris Lee is given a fair shake by the school board. They will hear from this year's Teacher of the Year.